Uh, it is great to worship with you today. Uh, it was fun to hear your voices as I was um, sitting in the live stream booth, so thank you for singing. Uh, if you would please grab a copy of God's Word and turn to Job 12 and 13, that is where we'll be today. And for the last 11 chapters, we have read through this journey of suffering that Job has endured, all for the proof and glory that God's character, his authority, and his relationships with his followers is consistent with who he says he is. And for most of this journey, Job has been dealing with less than ideal friends, uh, speaking truisms, insults, otherworldly wisdom as to why Job is in this predicament. And up until chapter 12, Job has patiently responded to his friends. But then previously, we read that there was a harsh and insulting tirade by Zophar. And because of that, Job's had enough. And chapters 12 through 14 make up his second longest response in the book. And they're filled with frustration and sarcasm. And we might be tempted to wonder how Job could lose his cool like that. But think we've all been in Job's shoes before. I mean, think about it, right? You're in a public setting, work, school, a party, and we all know that one person that just likes to play an old act a fool, you know what I'm saying? Right? And they crack jokes at you, they act unprofessionally, they make rude remarks, and your patience stays intact for a while. But then soon you start thinking to yourself, okay, what would Jesus do? Flipping tables in the temple sounds like the appealing option right now. Um, and eventually, you either just got to walk away or you do lose your cool because you just can't handle the poor behavior anymore. And though Job's frustration has boiled over in these two chapters we'll cover today, we can never discount what God might try to communicate to us as his followers in any circumstance, even in the unpleasant and raw emotions that Job is experiencing. Because what we find through his frustration and the sarcasm is this beautiful truth that faithful followers of Christ trust God in their suffering. Now, some of you might be sitting there rolling your eyes at what seems obvious, right? Like, duh, Jordan, of course we trust God in everything. We trust him when things aren't going well. We trust him when things are going well, whatever it may be. But I'd ask us to pause for a second and consider that trusting God in suffering is more than just knowing he'll get you across the finish line of your circumstances. God, trusting God in suffering is more than just knowing that we have a better life in eternity waiting for us. See, God is worthy of every part of trust in every part of your suffering because he's at work in every part of your suffering. He is with you in every part of your suffering and he is for your holiness in every part of your suffering. And Job is going to, in a different kind of way, show us what that looks like in chapters 12 and 13. And before we even get to uh, the trust that Job expresses in God, right, we get to see a very real example of trust from the terrible example that his friends give us. Uh, let's read verses 1 through 4 of chapter 12. Then Job answered and said, No doubt you are the people and wisdom will die with you, but I have understanding as well as you. I'm not inferior to you. Who does not know such things as these? I am a laughingstock to my friends. I who called to God and he answered me, a just and blameless man, am a laughingstock. 
Job's supposed to be talking to men who are his friends. And instead, we read that he is having to defend himself, to defend his knowledge, his understanding, proclaiming to them that he is not inferior to them. And though God sees Job as a just and blameless man, his friends find him a laughingstock. I mean, what in the world happened between Job too when these men wept and sat in silence with their brother to the text that we read now? What in the world happened that these once welcome friends are now the target of Job's sarcastic ire? Well, as we've read, they stopped being compassionate towards Job's suffering. And they became these armchair theologians who laugh, rebuke, insult. They give poor counsel to Job as he scrapes the boils off his skin. As he grieves the loss of his family. As he ponders exactly what God's up to. It's easy and safe for Job's friends to be here, right? To assert their wisdom and understanding to their grieving friend because that's how they want to handle the situation. But their pride in their own wisdom has made them so callous to the point where Job believes that they see him, as we've read, as a laughingstock, as inferior to their own knowledge. And Job, in his hurt, responds to these beliefs. Where once these men provided good care and counsel to their friend, they've now caused him the ultimate source of hurt. And yes, this book was written thousands of years ago, so some of their language might be foreign to us, but... I bet there's some of you in this room who feel like Job, who have shared real-life experiences, who have shared real hurt, and instead of receiving empathy or care or or mourning, you receive abrupt counsel like, well, you know, you just got to have enough faith. Do you have any unconfessed sin in your life? Have you tried going outside? Church, we can unintentionally become like Job's friends, forgetting God's call to mourn with those who mourn and to bear one another's burdens, all in the exchange for our own solutions, what we believe they need in that moment. But church, as faithful followers of Christ, we trust God's leading as we enter into the suffering of others. See, something changes in you and how you view a situation when you decide to enter it without a personal agenda. When you choose to listen to understand a person and their circumstances rather than listening, waiting to respond and offer your own opinions on how to fix something. When you choose to seek God's direction in how to care well for your friends and your family and others rather than leaning on your own understanding. See, God doesn't need truisms when he's the source of truth, amen? And God does not need earthly counsel when he is the wonderful counselor. But in his graciousness to us, he invites us as his children to step into the suffering of others, and he very well might be calling you to pray for somebody on the spot. He might be calling for you to buy groceries or to give somebody a ride. What does it look like for you to invite somebody over to your house for a meal or to invite them to celebrate the holidays with you? And yes, there will always be a time to communicate the truth, right? Faith and sin and going outside are all things that are beneficial to talk about eventually, but we need to trust Christ's power and presence in that moment because he is the one who will guide and equip you for the life that he has called you to. And there's some boundaries, of course, right? Like some situations just aren't meant for you or I to be involved in. 
right? Because God's got somebody better for that circumstance, or maybe it's just unhealthy for your soul. But remember, God's not following the leader. We're following God. And it is we can be confident that by his good authority and direction, that we can step into the suffering of others the right way, and that we can communicate truth at the intersection of grace and love so that we can avoid hurting our friends the way that Job is in this passage. And yes, there is a risk, church, to stepping into the brokenness of others. As the wise theologian Kevin Burgess once said, uh, when you are working with broken people, aka the church, chances are if you rub shoulders together, you will get cut sometimes. And is there a cost to choosing to go God's direction instead of your own? Absolutely. You know how much pride you've got to get rid of? It costs gas money to give somebody a ride to the help center. It costs time to grieve with somebody for a day. But I can tell you this, that whatever it costs, it is always worth it when God is calling the shots. Because it is in him who we trust to lead us into the suffering of others well. So after Job both defends himself and makes some pointed remarks at his friends, his tone changes because his focus shifts back to the Lord. And he offers some powerful truths through the rest of chapter 12. Here's just a couple of them. Verse 10, in his hand is the life of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. Verse 13, with God are wisdom and might. He has counsel and understanding. Verse 17, he leads counselors away, stripped and judges, he makes fools. In verse 24, he takes away understanding from the chiefs of the people of the earth and makes them wander in trackless ways. And as Job, in his best Paul impression, is dropping this sick highlight reel of God's power, he's communicating two things to us as the reader and to the men who are in audience with him. The first being that God is sovereign And because he's sovereign, he gets to do what he wants with his power, regardless of how we feel about it. But the second is this, is that God is good. And his good character is always the same. And that's why we trust God's character in our suffering. And that's appropriate for this book in our own lives, isn't it, church? Because is Job suffering? Does it have anything to do with what he's done or hasn't done? No, right? It is the result of God's character, his authority, his power being put on trial by the malicious accuser, Satan. So Job, he doesn't understand why he's going through suffering, so he goes to what he does know, who God is. Because Job, being a righteous man, enduring the greatest suffering he's ever imagined or experienced, knows that God is enough for him because his character is fit to respond in every circumstance. Like Job, when we remind ourselves of the truth of who God is, we not only affirm that he is able to address and redeem all situations, we also affirm his character because it draws us closer to him in our times of need. Because when you and I are suffering, when we're dealing with the real-life hurt and pain from a broken world, there is something comforting and refreshing for your soul to know who you worship that God is a good father in the absence of an earthly one. That God is faithful when you wrestle with your fears about your future, your education, your career, your family, your retirement. That God is merciful when you're having trouble forgiving yourself. 
He's patient when you have to learn the same lesson over and over again. He never leaves you or forsakes you as you pray for the life of your family member in the hospital. He's compassionate and comforting for your heart when you are grieving or you're grieving with others. And he is peaceful when you are overwhelmed by the expectations of the world. When you're going through suffering, you don't need truisms or earthly solutions, do you? No. You need the one thing that can truly satisfy your heart, the truth and the presence of an unchanging good God. Remember the God who holds all life of every living thing, who owns wisdom and might, counsel and understanding, who justly humbles judges, counselors, and chiefs of the earth. And just this short passage in Job 12, it doesn't even begin to scratch the surface of God's total character. And what's even greater still, and I I can't get over how awesome this was, I was telling my students, and I was telling first service as I was typing away and trying to make this sermon, I just kept getting more and more excited about it. Because you and I, we have something that Job didn't. We have free access to the completed word of God. Like, that's crazy, right? This Bible that we read, that you read, that is God speaking to you, church, reminding you of his patience, his compassion, his character and promises and plans for your life. Whatever you need, if you need to be reminded of it, run to the Bible. It is yours freely anytime you need it. And not only can you read, but you can also pray to God, right? You can freely talk to the king of heaven and earth. That's pretty sweet, right? Ask him to show you his character in your life. Ask him to show you what it means to be loved by him, to have his peace. Suffering or not, invite him into every circumstance of your life because it is God as the good, good father who desires for his children to know him just as he knows them, and created them. And as we read and pray for God's character to be evident in our lives, we can trust and know confidently that God is always with us through the power of the Holy Spirit that dwells in every faithful follower of Christ. Church, run to his word. Run to him in prayer and trust that his character is enough for you when you face suffering. And as Job hypes up God, right, he shifts his attention back to his friends in chapter 13. And as you can imagine, it's, it's not pretty. Right? Verses 4 through 9 of chapter 13 say this, As for you, you whitewash with lies. Worthless physicians are you all. Oh, that you would ke- or keep silent and it would be your wisdom. Hear now my argument and listen to the pleading of my lips. Will you speak falsely for God and speak deceitfully for him? Will it be well with you when he searches you out? Or can you deceive him as one deceives a man? See, Job's friends are supposed to represent the best logic and wisdom of their age. But most of what they're talking about to Job is independent of God. Or false truths about him. And Job's not going to have any of it. He is in right relationship with God, and the words he speaks about the Lord reflect that. And so Job rebukes his friends to do two things. He's not going to fall into the deceitful thinking and the wrong train of thought that his friends are in, 
but he also wants to affirm that, yes, I indeed do have the right view of God. Because when we're truly faithfully following Christ, like Job, we trust who God is when the world doesn't. Look, it's no secret that we live in a broken world that hates God, right? And this is nothing new under the sun, but information travels so fast now that it seems like an increasing frequency. We've got to answer and respond to people's protests and accusations to the Lord. Here's just a couple of ones that I encounter and our students encounter on a regular basis. So do you really think that the Bible is still relevant? Well, your God is loving and forgiving, so he must affirm my lifestyle, right? Why does God let good people go through suffering? The world wants us to question the truth of God's character so that we turn away from him. And even some who claim to follow Jesus do the same. But as faithful followers of Christ, we have a unique opportunity in our suffering. The time when it's most tempting to question and walk away from God. As we just talked about, we can lean into God through his word and prayer because God has the answers and assurances to all of our doubts. That alone is enough for us to trust in him. And let me make one thing clear as we continue through this. Your doubts, your question, your wrestling, if you have those today, those do not discount you from the grace and mercy that you have in Jesus Christ. Because when we endure suffering by trusting the Lord, even when the world does its best to make us doubt, God's strength shines in our weakness. And that is when God is most clear in our testimonies to others. When we say, yes, God is still good. I still believe in him. I still follow him. I hold tightly to him, even when we have every excuse not to. Even when Job's friends whitewash with lies, they plead the case for God, they speak deceitfully for the Lord. Job responds like this, let me have silence and I will speak and let come on me what may. Though he slay me, I will hope in him. This will be my salvation. Whether it's his wife in chapter two encouraging him to curse God or his friends now pushing him to question the character of the Lord, Job continues to trust in and speak the truth of our good God. And my mom and my sister, right, I was, I was writing the sermon, I was thinking about all these different people who are great role models to me in the application of this text. And my mom and sister were the ones that were brought to mind because God has given them an openness to share their suffering with others that they've experienced in their lives. And I have had the blessed privilege of seeing souls won for the sake of the gospel because of their willingness to say, yes, suffering was painful. I had questions and wondered what God was up to. I got frustrated and mad at him at times. But even through all of that hurt, God is still good. He is still kind. And he will always be faithful. And the testimonies of my family, I sit there and I think to myself, how, church, might God want to use your suffering for somebody else's salvation? That despite the circumstances that you face, the questions that you have, you still trust in who God is and what he's done. Do you know that 35% of teenagers in Crow Wing County live in a non-traditional household, aka not two parents? 
God can use you adults with similar testimonies to encourage them in the faith that God still sees them and loves them. If you've lost a, her- or a family member to a horrific illness, there are other believers waiting to bear that burden with you and walk with you through grief. Maybe you're questioning God and you have doubts or you're struggling with your identity. I have friends that I can introduce you to who God loved at their lowest and they are now thriving in the truth of Jesus Christ. Because church, suffering is not something to be ashamed of, right? And doubts and questions and wrestling with God do not separate you from the love of Christ Jesus our Lord. God can use your story of suffering to impact lives for the gospel. All you need to do is trust in him that he will do it. The last part of our text today is Job in in chapter 13, verse 3, fulfilling his desire, which is to speak to God and argue his case against him. I don't know about you, but I think this might be a bit of a bold strategy on Job's part. Like my first move, if I wanted to go say something to God, would not be like, you know, getting ready, hyping myself up, going like, hey God, listen up, I need to tell you something. Like, we'll see how this goes for him. But as we read further down the text, we can see that Job doesn't view arguing with God as a dangerous encounter. In fact, Job is more confident in his standing with the Lord than ever. Verse 14 says this, Why should I take my flesh in my teeth? Why should I put my life in my hands? In other words, Job says, why should I take my life and well-being into my own control? Right, the Lord is the source of all good things. That's where I need to go, so I'm going to go there. Job knows he's innocent, and for most of his life, he has seen the blessing of joy and peace that comes from being in right relationship with God. He knows that God's character is good. He trusts in God's sovereign power. Job wants to argue his case against God not to prove something to him, but because he desires to see God again, to be close to him. Then call and I will answer, or let me speak and you reply to me. Job knows where the source of good and contentment and peace All of it is. He knows not what he needs, but who he needs in the midst of suffering. And though Job says some harsh and critical things towards God, and will continue to do so through the rest of the book, he never curses God. He never desires to turn away from him. There's just always this consistent want to come back home. And just like God's word, church, we have something greater than Job did too where we can trust that we can always go back home. Remember, Job lived in an age where sacrifices were offered to atone for sin. And Job was so righteous that he made offerings just in case one of his kids had sinned. But the only way to satisfy God's wrath against sin was through the blood of a living creature. No good deeds, no accomplishments in the classroom or on the athletic field, No wisdom or right living can outperform the perfection of God or could rescue us from the sin that was laid claim over our lives. So sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice kept being made. But the good news for us is that God so loved the world 
He so loved his very good creation, so loved you. And knowing that you couldn't rescue yourself from your own sin sent somebody better in your place, his only son, Jesus Christ. And Jesus was born as a baby, right? He grew up toddler, teenager, adult, and he lived this perfect sinless life. And because of his divine nature, right, he was fully God, fully man, and he was fit to pay the cost of sin, to satisfy the wrath of God, not just once, but once and for all to pay the price of sin, not just once, but for all sins, all time. And so Jesus willingly gets on a cross and dies for you and I. He sheds his blood to pay the price of sin, yours and mine. And he's buried in a tomb, and three days later, he conquers sin and death on our behalf by rising from the dead. And what I think is so crazy is we're talking about suffering and the key theme here is that we trust God in suffering and we trust God in suffering because he's gracious to us. That's his character. We are praying and trusting to a God who has suffered himself, who gave up his only son, who willingly died on a cross for you and I. God's grace is his character and his personal experience. So when we run to God in his word and prayer, we know that he does, in fact, get how we're feeling. And because of the work of Christ on your behalf, you have a choice. You can accept the free gift of salvation that God is offering you right now or not. And all you have to do to receive that gift is believe, have faith that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died and rose again for your sins and proclaim it out loud, say, I believe this gospel. Because when you make that choice, when you say, yes, God, I want what you are giving me, I can't get it for myself, only, only you can, you are forgiven and free of sins. You have a restored relationship with God, and you are adopted into his family as his child. No longer are you an enemy like Romans 5.10 says, but you are a friend of God, the king of heaven and earth who created you, who knows you deeply. And that's the good news for us, churches, that Jesus Christ was, is, and will always be enough for us. And he makes a way so that we can always run back home to the Father. No matter how much you've strayed, no matter how big you screw up, no matter how ugly or messy your past looks like, if you would be so humble as to say, I need to go back home, Jesus has paved the way for you to run into the Father's arms and say, forgive me, transform me. I need you in my life. Even in the flared up emotions and frustrations that Job exhibits in chapters 12 and 13, God communicates beautiful truth to us that we can trust him to step into the suffering of others that we can trust his character in our suffering even when the world does its best to make us doubt. And we always, always have a way back home in Jesus Christ. God didn't forget about Job, church, and he certainly never forgets or forsakes his children. And that's why as we read this text, we can be confident that faithful followers of Christ trust God in their suffering. And maybe you've never heard the gospel before and you too want to see what that's all about. You want to receive that free gift of salvation that God is offering you. 
or maybe you just need prayer as you work through your own suffering, I'd love to talk with you. Our other elders and pastors would love to talk with you. We have some incredible prayer ushers in the back waiting to care for you. And church, maybe the Lord is impressing upon your heart to go talk to somebody today. Don't ignore the nudging. Right? God wants to use your life for his amazing plans. Let's be a church that trusts God and loves others well in suffering. Will you pray with me, please? Lord, we humbly approach your throne as king and Lord, and we confidently come to your throne as your children. <laughs> Lord, that when we see you and we pray these things to you, we know that we have a different kind of relationship because of the work your son did on our behalf. Lord, thank you for loving us first and sending your son Jesus to rescue us from sin. And Lord, thank you for the truth that you have given um, in Job today that even as we are going through it, experiencing real-life hurt, real-life emotions and struggles of a broken and sinful world, Lord, you don't give up on us. But you are at work. You are present with us, and you are working things out for our good and for our holiness, God, because that is what glorifies you. Lord, I pray that these truths of Job 12 and 13 would rest upon the hearts of our, our um, members of this congregation, Lord. And I pray that we would live in the truth that even in our most painful moments, you can use those for your glory to build your kingdom here, now, and forever. And so, God, as we sing one final song to you and as we prepare to close this worship service, would you receive the praise and the glory and the honor that is rightfully yours? It's in your name we love, praise, and confidently give all the glory to. Amen.